welcome to Carbon Times. With the UK hosting COP26 this year, the Carbon Times podcast has been developed to get the industry talking, to share journeys, and more importantly, share knowledge. Carbon Profile has sponsored this podcast to help their clients and the wider industry learn from each other and pull together to really push the decarbonisation of the UK. We are starting with what we know best, the real estate industry. With the UK government putting their 10-point plan for the green industrial revolution in place, Carbon Times will be running podcast series to explore the topics around the 10-point plan. In series one, we begin with greener buildings, with the objective to drive better building performance and move away from fossil fuels. We know that 80% of buildings in use today will still be in use in 2050, and that real estate accounts for 40% of the UK total carbon emissions. Each series from this podcast will explore topics taking the key goals of COP26 to form the discussion. The key goals being adaptation, mitigation, finance and collaboration. For the real estate industry, we will explore owning and managing property, green leases, tenants' obligations, the costs and the impact on property prices. We have interviewed some of the best from industry leaders, regulation setters, companies that are leading initiatives and those driving programmes to work towards the current key dates associated with the Greener Buildings Plan and the drive to net zero carbon emissions. We want to provide insight across our industry, highlighting the challenges and the ambitions. We will highlight practical examples of how industry specialists are driving change across their sphere of influence. We all have a responsibility to collaborate and develop a world-leading approach to the decarbonisation of the spaces and the places we use. In just two weeks, the UK government will host the crucial United Nations COP26 conference in Glasgow. As the PM has said, it needs to be a turning point for humanity, the point at which we pull together and pull our bootstraps up to keep 1.5 degrees centigrade in reach. Hosting COP26 also gives the UK a huge opportunity to showcase our world-leading climate credentials and set an example, Mr Speaker, to other countries to raise their own ambitions too. The net zero strategy will take centre stage in our display, setting out our vision for the UK that is cleaner, greener and more innovative. Welcome back to the Carbon Times podcast. This is episode two, where we'll be looking at the field of regulation and we'll be looking at resources, skills and knowledge in the industry and how that is helping to drive through the decarbonisation agenda. We're lucky to be joined by somebody from Elmhurst Energy. Elmhurst Energy is the UK's largest independent provider of energy assessment training, software and accreditation. They were established in 1993 and they've currently trained around 7,500 energy assessors in the UK. We are joined today by Mr. Joshua Wakeling. Hi, Josh. Can you introduce yourself for us? Hi, Paul. Thank you. Um, yeah, my name is Josh Wakeling. I'm the non-domestic technical support manager at Elmhurst Energy. I'm qualified for in ESOS level three, four and five EPCs, DEX, Aircon and the like. And I basically run the team for delivering training, qualifications, doing the auditing of EPCs and all the certificates. Um, and, and yeah, just generally leading Elmhurst forward in the non-domestic sector. So yeah, really looking forward to being on the podcast and thank you for having me as well. 
Well, that's an excellent start in terms of giving a, a, a nice long list there of, of things that you're qualified to do, all that are super relevant to the, to the whole agenda. So brilliant. Let's start with the tools. Let's start with some of the methodologies that are out there and, and you know, that are helping to look at energy use, look at efficiency and look at how they can improve it. I think ESOS is a good one to start with. As I understand from talking to you earlier in the week, there's been some more consultation around ESOS and there are going to be some changes coming. So I guess if you wouldn't mind just a little bit about your experience of ESOS today, how useful you found it. Definitely. Yeah, no, ESOS is, is obviously it's for the larger companies. It's organisations with over 250 employees and uh, sort of 40 million turnover. So it does trigger those it is triggered on larger companies and, and larger organizations. And it covers buildings, transport, and industrial process, just as a background of what ESOS is. What we find is that it is a really useful tool, but it's more orientated around energy management a lot of the time. So it's all about how the organization can sort of manage their energy use in buildings and the, the sort of management of transport and industrial processes. Um, and what, as at Elmhurst, sort of, aim towards is actually the the asset itself so elmhurst are more of a a building type organization and so the transport and the industrial process side of things aren't necessarily our our bag massively but we are involved in esos because we do get involved in buildings um and in regards to the actual changes that's been proposed they're, they're looking at incorporating more organizations within the medium enterprises um, and, and mainly around industrial companies because they're going to have a, a higher energy use. So there'll be less organizations to target, but higher energy use. And that way you're sort of a, picking at the low-hanging fruit almost of, of uh, organizations. The methodologies are, are, is, is sort of a difficulty with, they're not, they're not standardized. So it's very difficult to, to provide a, a sort of an audit process and, and be able to actually check the competency of that. So the main step into ESOS is actually competency training and there's a lot of assessment at the beginning of the process, but there isn't a lot of it at the throughout the process. So we right. find that people come to Elmhurst and become accredited and do the training. And, and that's what we're allowed to do. We're, we're, we're classed as a professional body through mm-hmm. the environmental agency's eyes. And, and we do all that process. And it's a very rigorous process to get into ESOS. And the training is very rigorous. But as soon as you're into the market, there isn't much that the professional bodies are allowed to do. Yeah. Makes you feel there's a sort of a disconnect at that point. We sort of make sure that they're accredited on an annual basis and, and that the, the assessors are checked for CPD um, for the, the last 12 months. But apart from that, we don't really have any sort of guidance or, or understanding of what they're doing out on the site. And, and, and all we've got from environmental agency is saying this one assessor might be doing a wrong thing. And that's about it. And we don't really have any jurisdiction. So I think for ESOS, what they're doing with the new consultation, sorry to jump around, is that they're planning on making and strengthening strengthening that and, and sort of improving the process to allow for maybe a lodgement type process. So you would lodge a ESOS to the professional body and that would then allow us to fulfill our requirements in regards to auditing and checking competency and providing feedback because ultimately that's how you improve a scheme. Um, as it stands, the environmental agency audit the organisation, even though the ESOS assessor has completed the work and sometimes the ESOS assessor is completely left out of that process. They don't even know if they've done anything wrong. Right. So I think the scheme is a little bit dis- disjointed at the minute. And, and considering we're in, now in phase three, it's kind of a bit down the line to decide this. But the, the recent consultation that was strengthening ESOS is really sort of hammering home some of those key points and, and, and is really looking positive. 
it's quite fascinating how all of the tools that we've been provided, ESOS being a really, really good example, and the whole CSR world, you know, yeah. everything around those particular pieces has helped to drive everything in the right direction. But I think you make really good points there around some of those limitations and around being able to have an organisation like yourselves or like the BRE, you know, for, for other, other accreditation schemes like Neighbours, for all of those particular aspects, without an organisation like yourselves behind it, governing it, regulating it, driving the changes, you know, involving the users and making sure that that process is developing in the right way and has a, you know, sort of a gatekeeper, I suppose, to some degree. I can see where, you know, that might become a bit frustrating for an organisation like yourself. Definitely, yeah. We, we're sort of left to pick up the pieces when things go wrong, but we're not allowed any authority to do anything at ESOS. It's very different to how EPCs work and we've got a lot more control about uh, over how that works and how we can improve that process. Um, one, one point that you were um, just touching on is that we have the resources and, and the ability to make a, a difference and make improvements. We all know that governmental bodies do have lack of resources and lack mm -hmm. of funding and lack of uh, all these things. And, and so being able to privatize it a little bit and, and allow other organizations to take the lead on that and, and, and develop it is, I think, a real good thing, to be honest. Excellent. The, um, the resources, I think, is a really key issue that the whole industry needs to get on board with a little bit more and, and, and get behind. Neighbours assessors, you know, Neighbours is a great scheme. I appreciate it's only just started. But if you if you look for a Neighbours assessor today, I think there's only six in the UK. So yeah. for, you know, for the amount of office space that exists in the UK, to have six assessors currently, you know, looking at that scheme and and it being purported, you know, around as a, as a useful tool, really does limit what you know the the opportunities straight away, especially when this is intrinsically linked to the MEES requirements. So all of this, you know, the energy usage and the efficiencies that you identify around ESOS, using tools like Neighbours, Briam in Use, Lead, Well, you know, all of those other building accreditations will all lead to the fact that the message is going to be you need to make some changes to make it more efficient and to be able so, to... Yeah, all awareness, isn't it? Just improving the awareness of organisations, improving awareness of industry. And, and it's all been backed by the likes of... Greta Thunberg and yeah. David Attenborough, all of these things that are going on. I think it's a really good time to be in, in, in the industry, to be honest, as well. But I, I don't know um, enough about Neighbours, but I do. what I know of is that it is a BRE-run scheme similar to, to Briam. With it being so new, I do have concerns that with it being just with BRE, there is a sort of a limitation in how far that can go. And, and it's sort of not open to the free market and not open mm -hmm. to, it sort of restricts improvements and then development, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And that's how we see it as Elmhurst. We, we would love the opportunity to run a scheme like Neighbours, for example. But it seems like it's been directed straight for BRE. I don't, I don't think there was much of a process for that. But um, um, yeah, we would love to get involved in all of these processes and, and accreditations, really. I think having it, there could be a gap there. Having it restricted to just one accrediting body means that, you know, the, the pace of it can't really be, you know, as quick as it could. And organisations like yourselves, where you can offer multiple different streams of tools and services that you can encourage organisations like Carbon Profile, for example, to take on new ambitions and yeah. to help our teams develop with, with the emerging tools and make sure we're aware of them and see the value and the use in them. 
which is a really useful thing to have around what we do have for the EPCs, as an example. Yeah. What we do as an accreditation scheme is we're also really looking for the next thing as well to ensure that our members are up to date. Yeah. Because if our members aren't leading the way forward, then that's not going to look great when you come to the, the, the big landlords that have got the big portfolios. If they're dealing with an accreditation uh, or, or sorry, an assessor who's with an accreditation that doesn't really do much, I, I think if you're with an Elmhurst, you're, you are lead, the leading edge of the industry. We're always developing new things. We're keeping ahead of everything. And, and what that does, it actually results in, in generally governments coming to us and seeking our advice because we looked at as the industry. And I guess SIBSI are a really good example of this. They've got, they're very well, highly respected in the industry yeah. and, 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 they're ta- and they're asked to join boards to, to provide advisory. So we're, we're sort of leading the edge and might, making sure that everything is is, is in, the, in, in the eye of our, our members, really. But all of those schemes and all of those accreditations and tools that you, you mentioned are all improving energy. So we're all making a difference as well. Mm-hmm. And each one of those, I think, are linked. Um, we talk we, uh, in Elmhurst, uh, we've got an Elmhurst manifesto. And we talk about a triangle approach where we're talking, we want to make sure that we're looking at the asset of the building. Yeah. We want to then look at the occupancy of the building. Yeah. Then we want to predict what's going to happen in the future. And, right. and that sort of builds the triangle of the p- perfect measurement tool, the perfect performance tool. And I think that's the way forward. But at the minute, it's difficult to get those because we need government backing. We need all those sorts of things. And that's where Neighbours is coming as it's like a privatised approach, isn't it? It's sort of a voluntary approach. It's not a mandated chosen yeah. approach. So mm. you've got to get businesses on board and, and it depends on the cost and depends on the the publicity and if it's backed by government and it's mandatory and so you don't have a choice mm-hmm. but then there's issues around compliance on that as well so yeah it depends on the approach you go down you know, the, the ever big challenge about making anything mandatory <laughs> is then you need to enforce it which is yes. <laughs> always the biggest challenge because again Definitely. it goes back to the to the question of resources doesn't it yeah. In, yeah. in that space which is a good thing about Mies I guess Mies has been a self-complying tool because it's now brought in other stakeholders like the mm-hmm. banks banks are now saying we're not lending to properties that are FOG yeah. and so it's almost it's it's literally a compliance tool in itself and, and that's been a real benefit to to the EPC market and, and it wasn't uh, sort of the past 10 years or before 2018 it's been a, a tool that is just sort of a, a piece of paper that's a tick box exercise because you sold your property with it and now it's like yeah, it actually has some weight behind it and that's a real big difference. Yeah, again, another really interesting point. So we know the statistic and I quote this statistic all the time. So it just, you know, I think it really helps to resonate things in your mind that we know that 80 percent of the properties currently in use in the UK will still be in use in 2050. And we know that the UK total carbon emissions, 40 percent of that is accounted for from the buildings that we use. So hugely significant numbers. And, you know, there's 6.2 million registered commercial properties in the UK. So let's talk about resources again with what you know the people that are out there are credited to be able to find the right baseline and advise these companies where are we with that do you think do you think we have enough probably not no i don't think so in regards to that i think if we're using the current trigger points Mm -hmm. i.e for epcs say in the let then that is just based on turnover of businesses and not yes. and so we're not actually reaching every business are we? we're not reaching every building no. and so we are missing out on a proportion and i was in a meeting with um scotland government earlier today and, and actually only 14 percent of their buildings have epcs on them commercial buildings wow so there's a huge gap in their stock and what their levels are and they can't use that as statistics 
I think the fact that we're using triggers such as sale or let are, is an issue potentially. And if we can improve that process or mandate just an, an assessment of a building, not only are we collecting the data for government use to then know exactly what their building stock is, we're actually then raising awareness for every single building in the UK. We, it just makes a huge difference. And I, I think that if we're going down that route, then yes, we need a lot more assessors. We need a lot more resources. But as it stands, I, I think, yeah, we're pretty, with sale of lay, it's a continuous sort of process and, and then we're covered by that. So that's a good starting point around the coming changes to MEES because we're finding that a lot of the conversations we have with our carbon profile clients is very much centred around that MEES requirement and people, you know, helping people to understand the proposed as they are currently changes. <laughs> However, you know, we've got insight and knowledge that we know that those are coming. Those dates are going, you know, they're being publicised. Very, very, so it's highly unlikely that those yeah. dates, and if, if it's not those dates, it's going to be something very close to those dates. So everyone should really be preparing for an EPC ban B by 2030. Definitely. That's the sort of messaging. But again, the EPC world, when you're talking about, you know, driving the market and, and helping it, I, I totally agree around the limitations on the sale and let opportunity at the moment. I think it, I think it was a good starting point because yeah. it did force the hand of people, especially around the F&G agenda. And like you said, that's transposed really well into the world of finance that, you know, they just won't finance a, a property that doesn't have a suitable rating because yeah. they know it's not lettable. So what would be the point, you know, from the bank's perspective in all the, you know, our lenders and investors perspective? The other area around that, I think, is the public awareness and declarations from industry, from big corporate organisations, from the world of finance, from the world of lending and their commitment to the whole, you know, decarbonisation agenda and making sure that they can do what they can which is you know which is which is great it wasn't forced on them i'm sure it was very much encouraged by the government you know in, in, and the influence they can have in that area but i think that's a good tool to be able to start to to drive it so that drive to band b and that 2030 objective we know there's a lot needs to be done and a lot of resources needs to go into it and epcs is a good a good tool to be able to help people to get there. And that's what we're doing with a lot of our clients. We're really helping to drive that conversation towards that date because it, it becomes an objective then at that date. But it's also looking to fill some of the other gaps, isn't it, by making sure that every commercial property has to have an EPC and that it has to be then band C by 27 and, and, and band B by 28. So I think those are the right decisions and those are the right areas to do it. Now, one of the questions I can't answer is what implication is there for the tenant? So if you're a tenant in a property and your landlord does nothing and it sits at an E and 2030 comes around, what do you do as a tenant? Can you still operate? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. <laughs> Not something I think I can answer, but you're very right. What happens? Does that mean you have to kick your tenant out? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's a very unusual situation is that you can't let your building from that point, yet it's, you already are. So how do we go about that? And I, I think the, the answer is that the government will just put fines onto landlords and just to keep increasing fines. And it will end up just being financially a problem for the landlord. I think that's the only way they can do it. I can't see how you could get around it other than doing it by a fin financial stick rather than a, or, or unless you provide more incentives, you provide more sort of benefits to the landlord in regards to funding. And that yeah. would be a way of getting sort of incentivizing them to do something uh, uh, sooner rather than later. Um, or you make the, la the, the tenant responsible for something. 
definitely. I think I think that's a really good point. I mean, to to not just be hitting landlords all the time, we should be also thinking about the tenant. The tenant is benefiting from having reduced bills potentially for a new heating system or a better insulation or or solar panels or that, yeah. that sort of thing. So yeah, I think it's a brilliant question, and it's yeah, not something that I think we'll ever uh, find a solution for between us, but. Yeah, the, ret- the return on investment piece for energy savings is probably the right area for landlords maybe to work with professional organisations to demonstrate to their tenants that, you know, footing some of that bill is has a long term goal for everybody. And as well as that, it helps to save the planet, which is, you know, what we're all about at the end of the day. Whenever we're asked as an organisation, what should we be doing about exemptions? Our normal response is try and avoid them as as much as you can because they're going to become a really difficult to manage compliance aspect. So as well as managing your EPC compliance, you'll have to manage your EPC exemptions as as well on a different cycle. Some of them are three years, some of them are five years, and then your EPC is 10 years. So that's going to become very messy very quickly is is our current advice to clients. It is, yeah, a a major. It is. And and also your, your compliance windows that they're proposing so 2025 to 2027, if you've got an EPC now that's a D rating that's valid for 10 years, so 2031, it then isn't at 2027. So you're sort of downgrading an EPC that you've already got as well. So uh, yeah, I think it's very difficult. So you were just talking about the tools as well um, and the fact that you would go down a investment process and finding out how, what's the best sort of package of measures to improve yeah well i think that that again needs a tool around it because you can't just have in reality i don't think it's very easy to just have any assessor going out and finding out and just providing reports on improvement measures with costs and at the minute you're required to get three quotations as part of that to get an exemption Mm -hmm. as well so not only is are you providing those investment options first just to see if it's viable you then have to go off and get three quotations and the government have proposed a tool on on the cost savings and, and providing a, a tool that says how much a, an installation will cost but again that has its limitations because you have a variety of different costs in the north variety of different costs for installation of measures in the south and, yeah. and it's very difficult divide it's that challenge around the seven-year payback exemption Definitely. i think is well it's really challenging and i think also getting professionals to commit their name to that process as well i think mm. is going to be another challenge that's going to come as a, as a surveyor you know your name is going to be on that report and on the line when it comes around you know if somebody does go and investigate that requirement because well, we turn on the news every day at the moment and, you know, we see people gluing themselves to the road to stop people driving, you know, on a on an agenda that's related to buildings, you know, from that point of view. We've got all of this compliance with MEES and decarbonisation of your estate is public. So everybody can find out everybody's dirty laundry, you know, that it's all available to, to all and sundry. So... I don't think it will be long before people are gluing themselves to the front door of their high street retailers that they know aren't complying with the regulations. Yeah, it's a very good point. Really interesting. And especially with, obviously, we're recording this today and last this week has been the heating and building strategy that came out and yeah. we've got COP coming out uh, next week, I think mm-hmm. it is. And, and it's all news and industry developments. And I, I think heat in buildings strategy 
had from what I read, it was 200 odd pages. And I think I found that there was about a hundred mentions of EPCs in that, in that, in that document, right. which is, which is just shows that the government, that's the way the government's going is the EPCs yeah. is all the way. Mm-hmm. And so that's the tool. Um, and, and, and just going back to your point on, um, on the investments as well, I think the key, the best practice is always making improvements, isn't it? Yeah. But, there is a caveat within Mies is it, it's economically feasible improvements yeah. and that's where the seven-year payback comes in. Mm-hmm. So I think in reality, your building might be a, 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 an E rating now. doesn't mean that you have to be a B by 2030. It means that you have to attempt to be an a B by 2030. And then if there's anything that's not economically feasible, you have to go exempt for five years. And then that five-year period is then hopefully there's an improvement in some sort of technology that allows for it to be a cheaper option. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like you say, it's going to be difficult making sure you've got the right EPC, making sure you've got the right um, exemption in place, how long long those last and coming to companies like yourselves to ensure that you've got the best information and and you're providing that service to, to, to organizations. And then as, as an accreditation scheme, make sure we need to make sure that we're providing the best support to you guys. And, and the best updates and the best news and the best articles and ensuring you're up to date as well because the last thing you want to do is tell them something wrong as well. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the partnership between organisations like Carbon Profile and Elmas as our accrediting body are really important as well because we we can feedback, which we often do, you know, some of the limitations that we find within the system and using the tools that we have. And we know that, you know, you've got a good voice with government and all of that partnership approach to this, I think, is is what happens. And again, you know, one of the key goals of COP26 is collaboration. And this is a shining yes. example of how collaboration works. Exactly. Definitely. Definitely it's, agree with that. <laughs> it's a lot of what we're what we're talking about around this podcast series is around collaboration. And it's one of the reasons why Carbon Profile is sponsored carbon times getting off the ground is because you know as a leadership team we're genuinely passionate about the agenda and we we want everyone to start talking to each other we don't want you know managing agents doing things in isolation and and learning by themselves we want them to come together and and share examples and share knowledge and share the journey because it it's going to be hard I think it's also about taking some responsibility as well. Uh, I think we do need to take some responsibility for the future of the environment and also take responsibility for us providing uh, sort of recommendations to improving buildings and then not following up or not having a process that backs that. And I think that leads quite well onto past 2038 and, Mm -hmm. and the work that's with past 2035 of how you can make sure that you've got competency or competent people providing the the relevant things and if they're not competent they should step away from that and then mm-hmm. and and the issues such as Grenfell Tower happen when you don't have the right people or the competent people or the right processes in place that stop those sorts of issues and, and yeah. past 2038 is, is definitely a, a one of those and and that and past and past 2038 and past 2035 again are all about collaboration you have a process of assessing the building a designer uh, an installer and they're all run by a coordinator and it's sort of again like you say collaboration as it stands we sort of just do an assessment and then we go here you go here's the information and 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 generally organizations and businesses go okay what do i do next and and we can't provide that and so that's where we i think that's the missing link at the minute and the past 10 years has been Mm -hmm. is this a next step to making the improvements as well for those people listening that might not be aware of past 2035 and 2038 can you give us just a couple of statements on each yeah so so it's a the bsi standards so a british standard that's sort of uh, developed by the industry 
and, and stakeholders within the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's then put out to consultation. So it is not something that government just decide. It's not something that is uh, one organization's decision. It is an industry decision. Um, and, and what it is, it is a, just a standard uh, that allows you to show that you've met a certain process and a certain quality around that. And so at the minute, we've got um, past 2035, which has been issued as part of ECO. And yeah. so ECO funding will, will require you to be to follow past 2035 and then also be a trust mark accredited assessor through an, an, an Elmhurst, for example, and mm-hmm. there are other accreditation schemes. Um, and that's, that's, that's taking off. That's going, that's massive. We're seeing a huge increase in that. Um, yeah. And you, and, and as part of that, you have to be a retrofit assessor to do yeah. the assessment. You have to be a, a retrofit coordinator. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a designer and an installer that's under past 2030 for installations. At the minute, there isn't anything for past 2038, which is basically the commercial version of past 2035. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anyone really moving in that space. And Elmhurst will be looking to, to make a mark in that and hopefully be uh, uh, developing something coming soon. So watch the space in regards to that. But, but again, it's all about the, the stand, uh, standard process and in, ensuring quality through that process mm-hmm. and that ho- you're holding people to accountability mm-hmm. for their actions and decisions that's been made. And especially the person who's coordinating that and, and past 2038 has a retrofit lead professional who must then decide the competency of that. And I, and I think that will have backing in regards to knees in regards to the funding. Yeah. If you have a, 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 a system that works and, and follows quality, then that's going to have backing from, from banks and investors and, and yeah, it just makes a lot more sense in regards to the process. Yeah. I think those types of standards are essential for this to make sure that again, quality is, is the biggest part of this. So that brings me nicely onto wanting to talk to you about EPCs and that, and the process around EPCs, because obviously, you know, it's a, it's a, a huge part of what carbon profile does. We use it as a tool to inform our clients on their net zero aspirations and the whole journey really starting from some level of baseline. And EPCs is a fantastic baseline to be able to to be able to start from, especially if you take EPCs in the context of the 2030 Bambi objective that you've then got a window of opportunity to talk to our clients around how are you going to get there? What are you going to do? Where are you at the moment? And that where are you at the moment part is the EPC. That's the best tool. And as you say, you know, the latest consultation documents that have come out this week around energy are very focused around, around the EPCs being the tool for that driver. And we're seeing it work in all honesty already, you know, taking, and we're taking that design-led approach. And I think that's one of the aspects of collaboration that's been missing from the industry around EPCs. Well, let's let's talk EPCs in general, first of all. So I hear it a lot anecdotally and it frustrates me, but I can see why people say it and that people will say, well, EPCs aren't worth the paper they're written on. I mean, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, I was literally having a meeting with Northern Ireland the other day and, and that's exactly the same question they ask. And it's about, I think the, the key issue is just lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think people, general public, I think there there has obviously there has been some issues and there's been some schemes that weren't properly standardized and properly quality assured. And again, that's why I think past 2038 and 35 resolve those issues. Uh, and I, so I don't think there'll be any issues moving forward, but they're always our cowboys in industries. But that's what Elmhurst are here as an accreditation is to ensure quality around that process. And, and I, I don't think 
um, a lot of people who deal with buildings or in, I don't know, state agency or that sort of thing or landlords, they don't understand the entire process that, that an assessor has to go through. It is yeah. quite rigorous. And, and then the auditing process is very rigorous as well. Mm. Uh, and so we, we have to ensure, even just down to the, the, the level of insurance, you have to be insured to do EPCs. You can't mm. just go out there. And, and there's a lot of companies, a lot of builders, for example, and a lot of installers of plumbing and that sort of thing. They don't necessarily need to be insured or they don't tell you, you don't ask for that when someone comes to do some plumbing into your house or fix a pipe. You don't ask, are you insured? Yeah, our assessors, are. they cannot operate unless they're insured. Um, and that's just a very small part of it. Mm. Um, and so, uh, again, you have to go through a qualification that's that's completed through City Guilds or Abbey who are awarding bodies for that and they have their set standards. Mm-hmm. Once you're then qualified, each year you have to do a set standard of continued personal development and every single EP, EPC that you lodge goes into a pot for an audit and has to uh, audit assessors. And as part of that, you must take evidence and you must prove every single entry into, your, into that EPC. And, and so I don't think there's many industries that have that level of sort of quality assurance and, and targeting of quality in, in any industry. I just, I, I don't know many. I, I don't know if you uh, know many that go to that sort of depth of quality on, on every job that, that they do. Well, I can only you know speak from our own experience. What we do is we drive quality with our teams and we drive it through the process. Some of the areas that are easy are around um, using default values and mm. you know that kind moving away from from doing that, especially with commercial, which I'll talk about in a bit more detail in a moment. But that point that you make there around evidence, that's one of the areas where it has caused some challenges for for our teams around that. So. EPCs, you know, again, great tool, but I think it does need to evolve as we learn more and it does need to, you know, to be able to limit some of the restrictions. And I think there might be an opportunity for for maybe a more tiered approach to, to this going forward that one of the challenges we have is if you can't access a piece of heating equipment in a property, therefore you can't take a picture of it, then it's nearly impossible to lodge it as an EPC <laughs> through, the, through the software, which in some circumstances is right because it makes sure that, you know, from an auditing perspective, there's no doubt, you know, because that you know, because it is attributed to that to that you know place or whatever but when we can make a professional judgment and a professional opinion but not be able to access it i think there should be some tiered approach to that i don't know what your thoughts would be yeah no i I think it's a good point and there are like um other industries where you are allowed to make a judgment so like chartered surveying for example there you you are just assumed to be competent to make that judgment but in epcs i think because of the initial bad rep that we got then we've had to make it strict we've had to enforce that and the government have to enforce that and we need to build back the quality into the epc and build back the reliability and build back the confidence before we can make any sort of progression down that route yeah. and, and i do agree I, I have every trust in yourself paul and your and your organization that you have the processes and the sort of requirements or standards in place to ensure that you're doing it correctly but when you've got the likes of eco funding off the back of an epc there's a tendency to start pushing towards falsifying things. And then yeah. that's where it becomes an issue. And now with the, what we've got in place, we've got now smart auditing, for example, that is an audit process that, that looks at the risk of EPCs uh, and looks at the risk you're on. Yeah. Before, we used to do random audits. We used to just select a random number of audits. And if you happen to get something wrong or falsified something, we would catch those bad people out mm-hmm. and bad assessors. And we obviously yeah. get them out of the park. 
but now we're sort of looking at the risk and, and we target stuff that's based on the current environment. So, mm-hmm. for example, an E rating, uh, F or G ratings, if an EPC suddenly goes from an F to a, to a B rating within a month or so, we can target that. Say, hold on, that looks a bit risky. And so these are sort of the processes and the standards in place that now we're, trying, we're, we're improving the industry with. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to remember as well that this industry is, is led by just the assessor. It is all, all orientated around the assessor and the assessor responsible for the EPC, which, yeah. which I know we've had discussions previously about, yeah. um, and I'm sure you'll bring them up. <laughs> um, but they, it, it's very much orientated around the assessor. And what that means is that the assessor is responsible for any issues. Mm. And so with it being a public document, with it being a legal document, yeah. if that ever went to a court situation, the, the assessor would need to justify what's been entered. Mm-hmm. And, and without that, without the evidence, it's very difficult to say that that's what was there. And, and it is very difficult to fall back on. And, and as an accreditation, that's basically what we are there to do is make mm-hmm. sure that you're covered for all eventualities. And, and we've got additional we, Elmhurst cover insurance for lodgement. And we also have, if you want to do extra work, we do also have a, 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 a sort of a broker that can lead you to additional insurances if you're providing these reports and that sort of thing. But it's all about quality. And if you're one yourselves carbon profile uh, obviously have all the standards and the, the people in place to make that decision but if you're an individual assessor and you're just a self-employed person and you've just come out of the qualification would you be willing Paul for them to make decisions then would you would you say they've got a competency to make decisions on those sorts of things and that's where I would pass it back to you and say yeah. well, we, we must make sure that we have a uh, we've got to have a le- level playing field yeah but ultimately absolutely. there isn't incompetency there might not be a level playing field but we have to we have to be in uh, yeah i think maybe it looks at so i'm from an enforcement background so uh, my i'm a uh, an environmental health officer by design <laughs> so um, i've spent many an hour in court you know having these debates around professional opinion so i know how it, i know it can work if it's mm. if it's correct you know and if it's well managed and as you said well audited and it's 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 really good for organisations like Carbon Profile to hear how much effort goes in from Elmhurst to making sure the quality is right, to audit, you know, and, and coming up with things like the smart auditing, because like you say, it, it helps to identify anomalies. And, and you know, we've had an anomaly recently, which we more or less guarantee it will be audited because it's a, a four-storey, four or five-storey central London property that's got a conservatory on the, on the roof. So... Okay. That's probably going to be audited because if it goes through a smart auditing system, that's going to look really weird. <laughs> well, no, we, we've actually got issues. If it's, if it's a non-domestic, then we've actually got issues with that because of the data that we actually get out of the back of an EPC. Yeah. It, it currently, it's just an XML file where yeah. we don't actually have specifics. So we're, we're, we're a little bit limited in non-domestic. The domestic side is, is very much, we have a lot of control over what we can target. Yeah. Um, but that sort of thing is very, for non-domestic, is very difficult. So what, what would you class as, as risky on that building, for example? Like, oh, that, no, that we, was we domestic, acted, sorry. Oh, that was domestic. Oh, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, yeah, okay. That, in that case, yeah, it's probably going to cover on it. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, it's just really, you know, our assessor phoned up to say, I don't know what to do. There's a conservatory on the roof. <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> so it was, I think yeah. actually we phoned Elmhurst to ask for your advice, which again oh. is, is something else that's really, that's really useful useful for our assessors to be able to talk to your team about the challenges that we're having in the real world and finding the right way then yeah. to, to proceed with that is is really good 
So, yeah, just going back to that point around professional opinion, I think maybe a, a, the tiered system could look like something like an, a, a professional affiliation. So once you're a chartered EPC professional, then you're in a position to make more judgment. The same as it is with a surveyor. You know, once you're a chartered surveyor, then you're in a position to be able to put your name to stuff. And, and so I think maybe, you know, chartered energy assessors is part of the future of this, maybe. Definitely. No, I think that's a, that's a really good idea. We did have, we did a customer survey actually a couple of weeks ago and we were looking at the results of that and the feedback. And that's a very similar response that we got from a number of comments and saying that, why is it that I'm treated the same if I pass all my audits? Yeah. And, and, and sort of how do we deal with that? And I'm a very competent assessor. Surely the industry could provide some sort of gold plating on assessors that are doing a much better quality. Uh, mm-hmm. than other assessors but it's very difficult to judge and a very difficult process and especially if what we do is the fact that the auditing process is supposed to be a learning process anyway it is a yes. learning process we do take the feedback from the audits and, and put that back into the training and we implement that back into software and, and it's a sort of a loop of feedback and, and, and improvement based off the auditing so i don't think we should stop auditing but i like the idea that you could have some sort of a second tier level of, of assessors but yeah. whether that came about it, yeah really difficult and i don't know how you would manage that and uh, i assume you yeah, yeah let's let's not go down the solution route today but yeah, no, <laughs> i like the idea I like the we're, idea we're not here to solve the world no. at the moment <laughs> we're just here to get the you know get us talking about the right direction to do Definitely. so so again, if we just look at the challenges we have with EPCs as an organisation, I think you made a really good point around that legal requirement and all of the regulations requiring, and quite rightly, for the assessor to be you know, legally responsible for the assessment that they've made, which is you know, the right thing to do. However, the one limitation I find with that as an organisation is, is access to data sometimes and being able to centrally manage a team of people running around the country doing assessments and doing them, you know, but we then have to rely on those people to lodge them as well. So that's one of the challenges we have. I mean, do you get that challenge from other organisations? Yeah, definitely. And it's something that, again, I was talking about ESOS, where we as a professional body want to make a difference and want to make your improvements. And you're basically trying to say the same thing, aren't you? you you're restricted by the fact that you've got assessors that can go out there and and do assessments and then they're the ones that need to press the right buttons and, and, and issue the EPCs. And, and I could see it being a restriction for organizations, but ultimately it's about the risk and who's liable for that. And as yeah. it stands with government's view and, and how we deal with that, it is on the assessor. And so having you take the risk is that then taking it completely away from the assessor and how is that approached? And yeah, there's lots of complications that again, mm. I, I feel will be, going around in circles for, for days and days trying to figure it out on this podcast. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think there's definitely uh, uh, something that, that, is, that has merit in you as an organisation being able to take the lead and responsibility for the lodgements. Mm. And then you can drive it better. You can drive it in a more corporate way yeah. than, than just an assessor uh, who works for you can in yeah. that sort of sense. Mm. But yeah, definitely, I think there's, there's possibilities there. Yeah, I think that's I think it's a natural involvement of the process, really, when when because there are more organizations like us growing, you know, and we're going to be an important part of, of all of this going forward, which is really good. 
Okay, so before we finish up, I'd just like to talk about the future a little bit. And again, working with you guys as an accrediting body and and really developing the partnership approach going forward, we see as key to being able to drive the changes and be able to tackle and discuss the you know some of the things that we've been discussing here today. If you had the opportunity to have lunch with Boris Johnson tomorrow and you wanted to be able to come out of that lunch influencing him and his decisions on, you know, how this should all be tackled, then what advice would you be giving him? Fantastic question. Really good. Uh, can I have uh, a few days to think about it? <laughs> um, I think, um, wow, it's, um, I think we would probably go down the route of assessing buildings is obviously the first step you have to take in regards to identifying problems. You can't identify how to improve something, how to get to net zero, which is the new thing, isn't it, that's now moving forward. You can't get to those positions without knowing the information first and then without assessing the building first, which is why I think EPCs, DECs, aircon assessments, ESOS are all about measuring the performance of the building or the organisation first or the system first. And that is the key step. The next step is then what you do about it afterwards. Yeah. And that's then government's responsibility to then either implement regulations. And we would suggest regulations is very useful in, in regards to that. But it's mm-hmm. difficult to police and they've got to put a lot of resources into regulations. I think the biggest thing that's lacking at the minute is funding, is investment. We just don't have any way to incentivize organizations to purchase improvements to like we've got solar panels for example is a very easy way of reducing your carbon intensity just by taking it away from the grid and just using your own electricity yet we don't have any funding for that at all mm. in regards to commercial buildings and, and, and well not even not necessarily the domestic either um so i think funding would be a huge benefit now naturally that does talk about or sort of link on to uh, recent developments, which is heat pumps. There's a £5,000 heat pump for domestic buildings. Which So they're, they're thinking about it by the looks of it. So yeah. maybe we are influencing it somewhere, but but that would be my key is, is we need to support businesses and organisations better than we currently do and have an end-to-end process that says you do the assessment, you identify what your energy use is, what your problems are, and then move down some steps into implementing some measures. Because again, the ESOS has that issue that we've talked about is you do the assessments and you have no requirement to do any recommendations. You just get a list of recommendations. And again, I think there is some responsibility on us as assessors and as as, uh, organizations that do the measurement is to engage with the chair, the directors of companies and say, by doing this, you will save this much money and that sort of thing. But uh, I do think there needs to be more support in regards to funding and investment and processes for that. And, And again, that links back to making sure it's a quality process because no one wants to provide funding just to give you a pot of money because then mm. you'll just spend it on something else it needs yeah. to be specifically through a route and that's where past 2038 comes into play so i think yeah. what we've got is almost getting in the right direction and, and as soon as that sort of kicks off i think i think that would be perfect really and, and a lot of this stuff we will we'll really talk about at our uh, elmhurst conference that we're holding on the 23rd of november um so please do uh, self-promotion here a bit full but uh, please do have a look at that and we'll be sending out uh, uh, some emails and details of that shortly but on the 23rd of November please put that in your diary for the Elmhurst Conference and it's at the Leicester Tigers rugby ground so we usually hold that once a year but Covid's got in the way of that but, uh, yeah. and we would we would encourage anyone listening to to find out more details which uh, where would they go to your website to be able to yes do? website we, we, if you're a member of ours you'll get an email communication 
Um, if you're not a member of ours, then you should join us anyway to get an email communication. But uh, if, if not on the website, it'll be all over the website. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, Josh, thank you very much. It's been really interesting talking to you. Um, got a lot of insight into the industry. And I think, you know, my my part in point to organisations like yourself is keep doing what you're doing and, and helping us to be able to shape what we do on the other side so we can we can really drive the changes we need. No, thank you very much. Oh, that's a really nice comment. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we're just trying to trying to improve quality ultimately. So thank you very much for having me on the uh, podcast. No worries. Thank you very much. Thank you.